Okay, first question. It's a toughie. Okay, in and out or five guys? Oh, um, that, that's tough. I, I'm going to go with in and out, and here's why. I feel like five guys is overrated. I feel like Five Guys is basically Wendy's, but with better pickles. That's my that's my take on Five Guys. I know that Ooh. some people are gonna hate that. That's hate great that. though. But I'm gonna go in and out. It's just it's more iconic. You know, it, it uh, you can get a burger like Five Guys. You can make it at your house, but a burger like In and Out, you can't. It's not quite the same. So I'm gonna go with that. Five Guys, Wendy's with it's like better Wendy's, pickles. With better pickles. That's yeah, that's great. You go to Five Guys, pay fourteen dollars for a cheeseburger. And tell me I'm wrong. You're just getting $7 of pickles at that point. Basically. And they're not even that much better pickles. Welcome to 10 Questions with 10 Pastors. Brought to you by Gateway Seminary. With your host, Tyler Sanders. I'm Tyler Sanders, Director of Communications at Gateway Seminary. Uh, I'm here at SBC. Uh, in Nashville with Stephen Baum, who's senior pastor at First Baptist Church, West Albuquerque. Uh, multiple Gateway alumni. That's right. MDiv 2009, mm-hmm. THM 2013. Yep. I think while you were doing your THM, we had one class together. Jonathan Edwards? Edwards Jonathan Edwards that class. Was? That, was, that was the class that determined what I would write my, my THM thesis on. Wow. So, yeah. And yeah. I guess that was Jonathan Edwards, yeah? It was on Jonathan Edwards. That's right. That's, That's great. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, and a current DMEN student. That's correct, yeah. Okay, that's fantastic. How long have you been at uh, First Baptist? Yeah, so uh, it's a funny story. It's, a, it's actually a church that I grew up in. So my family joined that church when I was about seven years old and uh, grew up there, uh, left to go to seminary in 2006. And uh, just by in God's providence, there's a much longer story there. But my, my wife and I, with our kids, we moved back to Albuquerque in 2013. And the church was in a time of transition. Uh, they had a, just called a senior pastor the year before, and some other staff were uh, leaving and retiring and stuff. And so the, the Lord just orchestrated for me to come on staff as associate pastor in 2014. And then uh, uh, and then that pastor uh, left to take a, a job in another state. And, um, and the church called me about a year later as senior pastor. So uh, senior pastor for coming up on four years in, in August of this year. Okay. Yeah. That's great. Well, I've got about 10 questions for you. And we're just going to burn through them. So the first one, what are you reading right now? Right now, um, I'm trying not to. Uh, I've been doing a lot of reading for D-Men. <laughs> so uh, I have a lot of books that I need to read. Okay. Um, uh, but uh, right now I'm working on some stuff on deacons and elders specifically, uh, working with our church through kind of updating and, and making more biblical our, our internal church governance and, and leadership. And so i um, been working on stuff uh, through a lot of things on elders and deacons. Um, particularly uh, one book that's really helpful and accessible for pastors along those lines, if they're interested, is uh, 40 Questions About Elders and Deacons by Benjamin Merkel, I think, which is a really good one. And then I just picked up the newest book called Deacons by Matt Smethurst. It's a Nine Marks book, and so I'm looking forward to getting into that. Um, That's kind of what I'm reading, you know, for work right now. For fun, I'm reading, working through a book uh, called, I can't remember the name of the author, uh, (laughs) Andrew something or other, uh, but it's called Leadership in War, and it's uh, short chapter-length biographies of uh, uh, different leaders, military and government leaders in in different periods of war throughout history. So that's that's what's on tap for fun right now. That's great. That's great. Okay. Well, I got a couple questions about uh, preaching. Yeah. So from a macro level, Mm -hmm. how do you plan out, what's your approach to planning out sermons or a sermon series? Yeah, yeah. So 
by and large, I mean, the, the bread and butter of my preaching ministry is expository preaching. So I like to work through whole books of the Bible, um, not always all at one take, uh, but I, I like to look at whatever book I'm going to be preaching and, and plan out the whole book and then uh, take a look at kind of just the, the calendar of the year and look at where there's, you know, holidays or certain times of the year that just kind of ebb and flow and, and sure. work, uh, work the larger chunks of that sermon series around that. And then usually between uh, preaching through books of the Bible, I'll take a break and do maybe four weeks or five weeks of a doctrinal series or something along those lines. Um, most of the time, I, I like to plan out the whole year of preaching, all 52 weeks, uh, oh, that's January great. to December. I've done that, been able to do that last couple or, couple or three years, and it's super helpful to just know where you're going before you get there. And, and even in doing that, there's so much, as the year goes on and you're working through whatever book that you're in, Right now, I'm preaching through Nehemiah. Uh, most of last year, I spent preaching through Hebrews. Uh, you see all along the way, in ways that you could have never planned or orchestrated, the, the Word of God applying specifically to something that's going on in the life of, of the church or just yeah. being especially pertinent for the life of the church. And, and it's just a, it's a, it's a joy, it's a privilege to kind of see the Holy Spirit working months in advance uh, as you're planning out that sermon series. So yeah. that's usually what I do. Books of the Bible, break it up around major holidays or you know summer breaks and stuff, and try to bring in a, a doctrinal series for about four or five weeks, um, something on prayer or stewardship yeah. or... Um, uh, in fact, last fall, I, I took a break to, to preach about Baptist distinctives, five historic Baptist distinctives, which was a lot of fun for me. Uh, you'd have to ask my church if it was fun for them, but uh, but I enjoyed it. It was good. That's good. So uh, the kind of reverse of that question is on the more micro level, maybe the week-to-week -week level. Yeah. How do you go from text to sermon? It's a good question. Um, when I figure it out, I'll let you know. Uh, no, I. Uh, so usually, uh, again, I have, I have the sections of Scripture planned out ahead of time that I know I want to preach, uh, whether it's a chapter or, or uh, you know, just a, a, a couple paragraphs or whatever the case might be. So I know where I'm going to be every week. Um, and, and so usually Monday mornings, uh, sometimes Sunday afternoons, I'll start reading, reading through the passage for the, you know, for the upcoming week and read it through in an English translation uh, at least a couple of times. Uh, if, it's, uh, if it's not a very long passage, uh, I'll work to do a, a translation from either Greek or Hebrew, okay. uh, into, just so I can get a feel for the original language and how the the original the the text of the original flowed. Yeah, and uh, and kind of out work my outline through that. Um, of course, my my Greek and Hebrew skills are not uh, super great. So if it's a really long <laughs> passage, like right now, I'm preaching through Nehemiah, and we're doing mm. like a chapter a week, and um, yeah, and so that's a lot. That's, that's a, a lot chunk. for me to yeah. translate. It'd be a lot, I think, for most pastors to translate, but. I'm working, I'm working with the original text, not always doing a translation, but I've always got it open to go back and look at specific words and turns of phrase and things like that that are there. So Monday is reading in English, getting a feel for the text in the original language, making translation if possible. Usually Tuesday, most of my sermon prep, it's not all day, about half of the day or so on Tuesday is sermon prep. I'm, I'm working on my own exegesis of the passage. So working from the translation that I've done uh, and and working from English to even comparing and looking at different English, good English translations as well. Um, uh, just getting all of my uh, uh, thoughts and observations about the text into my own sort of commentary, if you will, or own sort of exegetical, yeah. exegetical outline. Um, once I've, I've got through all of my own personal exegesis, 
then usually on Wednesdays, I'll read uh, commentaries to fill in any gaps that I may have mm. in my exegesis. Uh, I, I, it's really tempting to go to commentaries first. first yeah. um, but but I, I'm, I'm actually uh, often encouraged by doing the exegesis first and then going to commentaries because yeah. I often see that, hey, I'm not crazy. You yeah, know, you're I'm seeing the, right the same thing that other people are saying. Yeah. And so it's more confirmation of, of good work done as opposed to, you know, just stealing other people's ideas. Um, so Wednesday... I'll read commentaries, fill in any gaps, and then usually outline my sermon and, and try to get the, most of the text of my sermon written. Um, I'm, a, I'm kind of a manuscript guy, oh, so okay. I'm, I'm really particular with the words that I say and wanting to say them the right way yeah. and, uh, and not wanting to mess things up too much. So uh, what's helpful with, with narrative passages like Nehemiah, which is what we're in right now, is um, you, I don't need as much of a manuscript because you get a sense of the story and, and it's that's moving okay. yeah. on. Yeah. But with like Paul's letters or like Hebrews, yeah. which we were in last year, there's just all of these dependent and independent clauses yeah. and stuff. Like sometimes it just helps for me to have a manuscript to read from to make sure that I'm I'm saying what I want to say yeah. um, and, and mean to say. So I'll usually write out a manuscript or, or kind of a full outline. And then uh, Thursday morning, I'll usually spend an uh, hour, maybe a couple hours uh, practicing my sermon. So just in my office, have a little music stand and just preach it like I would preach it. Yeah. yeah. And uh, which is kind of funny because my, my the other pastor I work with, his office is next to mine and our secretary is, uh, you know, kind of just outside the door too. So even with the door closed, you can hear what's going going on. Yeah. One time, funny story, one time I was practicing uh, practicing a sermon, and apparently in my office I was getting pretty uh, energetic in the sermon. And, and our other pastor, Danny, had um, had one of our church members came in, he was meeting in his office, and he heard me going at it like through the wall, you know, while I'm practicing preaching. And, and he thought I was on the phone yelling at somebody. <laughs> and so he's in this conversation with this other <laughs> this other church member, like trying to talk louder than he can hear me through the wall to yeah. make them feel like there's no nothing going on. He yeah. told me about it later. We had a good laugh, but <laughs> that was funny. That's good. So yeah, so practice it on Thursday, and then um, Sunday. You know, uh, Sunday morning, uh, usually spend a little bit of time looking over my notes and, yeah. and familiarizing myself, and then try to Didn't try do to, it. Try to preach it, man. That's great. So, yeah. Okay. Now, what's the most difficult passage, or maybe like section of scripture? It doesn't have to be like you know. It could be a bigger thing. Yeah. Um, what's yeah. the most difficult you've preached, though? Mm. Uh, most recently, the, the hardest but best thing that I've, that I've preached is the book of Hebrews. We spent 26 weeks in, in Hebrews over the course of the last year or so with a couple of breaks here and there. Hebrews is tough because uh, th there are so many Old Testament quotations and allusions uh, and, and calls back to, to old covenant themes that are mm. fulfilled in Christ. And, and there's so many of them in Hebrews. It just takes a lot of time to work through all of that. Uh, it's worth the work, <laughs> especially in Hebrews, so worth the work to just see, um, to see how, how Christ really does fulfill all of God's promises uh, in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament, um, but it's hard. Yeah. <laughs> a helpful, helpful resource along those lines, especially with Hebrews or just Old Testament allusions in, uh, in the New Testament is uh, uh, D.A. Carson's commentary, uh, commentary on the New Testament use of the Old Testament. Hmm. It's a big fat commentary, yeah. but if you get the digital one, it's uh, obviously a lot, lot smaller and easier to carry around. But uh, they look at every single use of uh, citation or allusion to the Old Testament in the New Testament wow. and give commentary on, on the Old Testament's used. use and how it's, yeah, how it's oh, used by wow. the New Testament author. Yeah, that's fantastic. Super helpful. Yeah, so, I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Now, uh, 
maybe uh, in broader ministry context, mm-hmm. what do you feel like is your ministry sweet spot? And yeah. maybe like the the kind of B part of this question be like, what's mm-hmm. something you're working on? Yeah. Um, my kind of personal heartbeat in ministry, my personal passion in ministry is, is discipleship of believers. And um, one thing that, that I've observed and that I've observed other people, other pastors observing is just the level of kind of biblical illiteracy, even among the mm. church and inconsistency between faith professed and life lived among most believers. And so uh, my love, my heart, my passion is, is in discipling believers to grow in maturity and obedience to Christ. Uh, like uh, Ephesians chapter four, that we would all grow up in the, uh, the uh, I'm going to mess this up. The measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, right? That's yep. the picture of, of the church. But can't do that apart from being in God's word, being in life together, pressing one another towards sanctification, uh, walking in repentance with each other, uh, and, and those sorts of things. So uh, I've been spending a lot of time as senior pastor helping our, helping our church to understand that discipleship is more than just going to Sunday school. It's more than just being a part of a bunch of small group Bible studies. It's more than just showing up to church on a Sunday morning. Uh, discipleship is about having your whole life shaped by the gospel, shaped by the person of Christ, mm-hmm. conformed to the image of Christ. And, um, and that's, uh, it's hard work, but it's good work. And yeah. my doctor ministry project was focused on creating a, a culture of discipleship in the local church. And so I was working with a bunch of men in our church to help them understand that concept of discipleship yeah. and, how, and, and how, to help others, uh, how to help others to grow as disciples of Jesus as well, which can often be really uh, off-putting or, or intimidating for someone who's never discipled somebody else. Oh, sure. They're going, oh, I don't, I don't have a seminary degree. I don't know this stuff about the Bible or what the... Truth of the matter, if we if we look at the New Testament, like if you've if you have a, a genuine relationship of faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you. That's a promise of the gospel, and you've got a copy of God's word and some time. You have everything that you need to make disciples to help people grow in faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. And so I spent a lot of time helping helping guys in the church to understand that. Mm-hmm. And uh, and from that, several of them have already begun investing their lives in other men in the church to help them. Uh, grows disciples of Jesus too. So that's kind of my, that's my passion right now. Yeah. And, um, or it kind of always has been. And um, I don't know, it's, it's, and it's something that even I'm growing in. Like I, you know, you mm. asked, is, is it a sweet spot? I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm, you know, cranking them out of the park on this one, but I'm trying and I, and I like doing it. And, um, and I think it's just part of how, how God has made me to be. So that's, yeah. that's kind of where my heart beats in ministry. Okay. That's great. Now feel free to take this one as seriously or as not seriously Mm-hmm. As you like. What's a swing and a miss you've had in ministry? You can choose how painful this, this is, is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think, like, so here's part of my problem. I'm taking this slightly seriously. Okay. Um, I don't have a lot of swings and misses because, in part because I don't always swing at stuff that I should swing at. Okay. I'm, I'm probably too cautious in ministry mm-hmm. and, and not... Um, not bold or daring enough. I'm a, in terms of, you know, personality types, you know, I'm pretty kind of A type. I have high expectations for myself often and, and of others too, and most of the time unfairly. And so I don't like living up to my own expectations. So mm. it's, it's often, you know, you, you swing and miss because you try something that you're not, you're not sure if it's going to take off or not. And I, I should probably be a little bit more experimental, a little more courageous in, in, 
doing some things that uh, that I that I might miss on. So I'm I'm, and it's uh it, it's it's not a virtue in me, but I'm I'm really cautious about what I do swing on. So okay. um, that's, that's a that's good hard answer. for me to answer. Yeah, well, that's well. a that's a good answer because I think that's uh that's an awareness of something that you you know want to improve in, I think, you know, yeah, or you want yeah. to, you want to at least start checking, you know, and some of that comes from swings, past you know? experience too, yeah. but a lot of it is just my own, it's just my own weird brain, man. That's yeah. like, Oh, don't, you know, protect your, protect your pride, protect your reputation. Yeah. Don't, don't let anybody see you fail like that kind of thing. So I, no, I totally get that on the other side of that with my, with my staff that are I like, I I'm trying to encourage them all the time to do things where they might fail <laughs> and to tell them yeah. Look, if you miss, it's okay. Like learn from what you miss on. That's fine. Like if we yeah. can't, if we can't swing and miss here, you know, yeah, goodness, like this is the most gracious and, and kind place to fail at something uh, here in the context of the church. So don't be afraid to fail. And if it misses, okay, it misses. It's not going to, it's not going to be the end of the church. It's not going to be into the gospel or anything like that. Don't do anything to, you know, em embarrass the gospel or embarrass the reputation of the church, but, yeah. uh, you know, go for it. Uh, problem is I, I don't exercise that same freedom with, with myself. Well, let's talk about seminary. Yeah. What's something in ministry that you cannot learn in seminary? Yeah, how how to love people, how how to love the church that you're serving in. Um, you get a lot of head knowledge, you know. Obviously, uh, you get a lot of really great skills for uh, breaking down a text and putting together a sermon or a Bible lesson, or even doing administrative stuff in in the church. You know, making a budget, keeping a budget, sure. Um, you know, starting different ministry initiatives. You get a lot of a lot of skills and, and information that way in seminary. What you don't get in seminary is, unless you're in a church, serving in a church, actively involved uh, in a church while you're in a local church while you're going to seminary, you, you, you don't get those uh, reps in loving people, in being patient with mm. uh, beleaguered saints, in extending grace to Christians who, who who fail and need yeah. to repent, and uh, and and even in being kind to people that that are critical of you, like that's just mm. you can't you can't do that in seminary. Yeah. You know your professors, you you're paying your professors to be critical of you. You know you turn in a paper, yeah, yeah. they give you they give you critique, they give you a grade. You're paying them for that, and you don't have a relationship of you know of love with them like you do with the saints in the church. And yeah. so that's one thing that's really hard to learn until you're doing it. And um, learning to have it, you, know, you hear it all the time, to have a, a thick skin and a tender heart. Um, that's not something that you can learn in a seminary classroom. That's, yeah. that's something you, you just have to learn there. in life with yeah. the church. Yeah. yeah. Uh, reverse of that. Mm -hmm. uh, in your opinion, what's something that a student must learn in seminary? What must you learn in seminary? Uh, my, my personal philosophy of ministry, and this has developed over time, is, uh, is really simple. The Word of God does the work of God and the people of God. So that's, that's what drives my preaching ministry, my discipling, you know, equipping, evangelism, all of that. The Word of God does the work of God and the people of God. Um, mm. And that's, that, that all comes from uh, uh, an understanding, a commitment to the sufficiency of Scripture, yeah. uh, its inerrancy and infallibility, its, its relevance and applicability to, to every situation in life. Um, that's the one thing that every seminarian must learn, must come away with from seminary, it, uh, in, uh, with is, is a, a real confidence in uh, and not just the veracity of Scripture, but the, but the power of God's Word to work in people. Mm. Um, 
you know, Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not overcome it. Um, that's a promise from his word. He speaks that, that promise. And so if we're going to build the church, equip the church, it's not going to be on anything, any other foundation than the word of Christ, the yeah. promise of Jesus to, to do that. And so what I'm convinced that every church needs more than a charismatic preacher or a particularly gifted set of leadership or whatever is, is our uh, leaders that love the Word of God, revere the Word of God, mm. um, are evidencing the, the transformative power of the Word of God in their lives, um, because that's what, that's what the saints need. They need the power of God to shape, the power of the Word of God to shape their lives, to live on mission at work and school and in the marketplace, you know, Monday to Saturday. And so we, as leaders, we need to be able to demonstrate Hey, the word works on me too, um, because the word is powerful. And, and so let's make it all about how God, ab about that place where God has revealed himself, his character, his son uh, to us and, and draw our attention there. So if, yeah. if a, seminary, a seminarian is going to come away with an MDiv uh, and not have an understanding of the sufficiency of scripture and, and its ability to transform hearts and lives, uh, I, I would I'd be willing to, to bet my next year's salary they have entirely mm. missed the point of, of seminary yeah. ministry altogether. That's yeah. great. That's a good word, man. I shouldn't talk about betting. This is a Baptist pod. It's a Baptist <laughs> yeah, podcast. Yeah, that, was, that was a good word have, with the hint of... Here at yep. the SBC, we have several resolutions against gambling. So it was just a turn of phrase for those who may be listening. If you could, mm -hmm. what advice would you give yourself when you were like a first-year pastor? First-year pastor. First-year, well, so first-year associate pastor or first-year senior pastor? Because I've done both. Yeah. Why don't we say your first like full-time okay. kind of ministry? Like first year in full-time yeah. ministry? Yeah. Um, when you're pretty green still. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, slow down. Uh, be patient. Listen, listen to the people that you're ministering to. Mm. And, and spend that first year develop, developing relationships with people. Don't make major changes. Uh, yeah. First get to know the people that you're ministering to. Uh, and, and that may go faster, you know, more quickly or, or, uh, or more slowly, just depending on the context of the church. Uh, there may be some going into maybe a, a, a church in a rural area that's had a long-term pastor for a long, long time. Uh, one year is probably not long enough to, to develop those kind of relationships of, of mm -hmm. trust and, and uh, uh, reliability with, with the people that you're, you're pastoring or leading. But for the first year, slow down. Faithfully preach and teach God's word. Love people. Show up at the hospital. Mm. Um, all, th little things like that. It's it's been yeah. amazing to me to see uh, over the course of my ministry, really how much. And and again, it's one of those things you don't learn in seminary. You you learn on the field. Yeah. How much something like uh, like a, like a hospital visit before someone's about to go into surgery or just came out of surgery or whatever. How how much that. Uh, just speaks to the heart of the individual about the love of the pastor yeah. for them. Because th they know that pastor could be working on a sermon right now or getting ready for, yeah. you know, the youth leader could be getting ready for a Bible study, you know, on Wednesday night or Sunday night or whatever right now. But they're taking that time to go visit someone in their home or in the hospital or whatever. Um, and that's, that's a good investment. Yeah, it, it, it is. It yeah. is. It's, it's worth every minute. Yeah. So, yeah. Okay, I've got one more question for you. Okay. Personal question. Why don't you just tell me how you met Jesus? That's a good question. Um, so I grew up in a Christian home. Both my parents are believers. Um, and so I've been in church my, my whole life. I don't remember a time when I wasn't in church. And um, when I was uh, six years old, 
uh, on a Sunday morning, uh, just regular Sunday morning service, nothing special about it. The pastor always gave uh, kind of an altar call or an invitation at the end. And I remember standing there while we're singing the, the invitation hymn. And I don't remember what was going on in my life up, up to that point. I was six, you know, so. Uh, but I know that I must have been talking about the gospel with my parents. Because during that invitation time, my, my dad uh, looked down at me and he said, do you want to go? And, uh, and I remember very, very clearly looking, looking at him, staring him in the eye and saying, nope. And, uh, and so I, I just, I did, I was yeah. not, I was not prepared to go. Like yeah. I knew what it was to go down, uh, uh, to go forward, give your life to Christ in a formal way. Of course, you know, salvation doesn't happen because you pray with a pastor at the, yeah. at the front of the, you know, front pew of the church or whatever. It, right. it happens by, by coming to a position of real, real faith and trust in your own life. Mm. But, but that, that pu- sort of public affirmation of, of faith. I was like, nope, not ready for it. So that same day, we, we went home after church, did lunch, you know, afternoon nap, you know, all that kind of stuff. We went back to church that evening. And uh, again, pastor just preached a, uh, just a regular sermon. Uh, I, I don't even remember what it was about. And uh, had an invitation time again. And as we're singing the invitation hymn, uh, in that moment, like now looking back, uh, I see like, this is just the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Um, working uh, in me, but sitting there as they're singing the invitation hymn, and there was just this, it was, uh, um, I didn't hear a voice in my head. It was louder than that. Like, yeah, yeah. you heard that before? It was yeah, just yeah. this this um, totally uh, uh, encompassing call from God that I attribute to the Holy Spirit saying, like, come, like, the, yeah. come to Christ, just come to her. And, um, and, and it was more it was, it was far less a decision of my own and, and far more of, of I think, really uh, hearing the voice of God, the invitation of God to come. And so I looked up at my dad while we're singing that invitation hymn, and uh, the same way I looked at him in, in the mor- that same morning service, I said, I'm going. And like, without him, like, without anything, I just, boom, out the aisle, down to the front, and was like, hey, I, I need to trust Jesus. I, I don't remember what I prayed with my pastor. I remember yeah. being baptized and all that, yeah. but, I, but I remember that overwhelming uh, just compelling call come and, uh, and did. And so, um, been as, as best as I can with the Lord's help walking with the Lord since then. So, yeah, that's great, man. It's a great story. Yeah. Praise God for, uh, um, uneventful, uh, conversions <laughs> like that. You know, I, yeah, that's I, I remember, story, right? Yeah. yeah. So I, I remember telling my testimony one time, uh, or just my story of coming to know Jesus, uh, when I was working on my MDiv and we were mm. in, um, uh, our TFE theological field education, class and, and everybody had to tell their story. And so I, I told mine, I was like, oh, it's really boring, you know, grew up in church and been around things my whole life and, you know, trusted Jesus when I was six, yada, 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 mm-hmm. you know, ne- n- never got into drugs, you know, wasn't ever an alcoholic, yeah. didn't have any crazy conversion, haven't been to prison yet or anything like yeah. that. And, um, and my professor like straight rebuked me in front of everybody in the class. He said, never tell that story again. Mm-hmm. Like it's, like it's a boring story. Like yeah. it's, like it's not meaningful or eventful or dramatic. He said, consider the grace of God, the provision of God in your life, the yeah. providence of God in your life to save you from, to keep you from all of those things that you could yeah. have right been converted out of. And um, it, was a, it was a sharp but, but gracious rebuke yeah. that, um, th- that he gave to me that day in front of the whole class. And, and I've begun to see it quite differently since then and, yeah. and really appreciate all, all that God, not, not just the sin that he saved me, from when I was six, right? But all the other situations of life, being in a home with, with believing parents yeah. and being in the community of the church in a meaningful way. It was never tertiary for me. It was always just, it was part of who I was. Yeah. Um, 
just this, the, the sanctifying and, and kind of guarding a protective effect uh, of God that that had in my life. It, it really is dramatic, it's amazing. So. Well, and I think it's important too, because I think your story is probably similar to a lot of, a lot yeah. of people's yeah. story. And like, you know, that can be, um, I think it's always encouraging to hear that, yeah. you know? We, we, we do hear the story a lot of like the miraculous 180 mm -hmm. that's and like. Praise God for this. And it is, it's, yeah. uh, that's obviously God's work Absolutely. as well, you know, but. Uh, the boring story, you know, if that's what we want to mm -hmm. call it, it's it's just as meaningful. Yeah, you know? Christian just parents doing blessing, what you know? Christian parents are supposed yeah. to do. It's kind of what we want, really. Bears fruit yeah. of faith in the lives of their children, and and yeah. that that's what we want for our children is to not yeah. not experience those prolonged periods of time far from God. Like we want our children to have non-dramatic um, but genuine conversions, yeah. and uh, so yeah. Anyway, that's wonderful. Cool. Well, that's it. Thank you so much for joining us, Stephen. My pleasure, man. It's been yeah. a blast. I appreciate cool. it.